Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Santa H., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Today is Monday, April 24th, 2017. Today we're reading from the big book. We are on page 30, chapter 3, more about alcoholism. And we are at the third paragraph that begins with, we alcoholics are men and women. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Kathy F., the 12 Traditions, Anne-Marie M., and reading the literature today are Carmela G., Hoodie R., and Lisa B. The Share ID for Sunday, April 23rd, 2017, our special edition meeting is 9866. 9866. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Kathy F. to please read the 12 steps, please. The 12 steps. This is Kathy F. from Massachusetts, compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory 
and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Kathy F. And I would now ask Anne Marie M. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Sansa. This is Anne Marie M. in South Carolina, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such, but never endorse, never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinions on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these uh, traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Anne-Marie M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. 
Today we resume our study of the big book. We are on page 30, chapter 3, more about alcoholism. The third paragraph beginning with, we alcoholics are men and women, and reading through two paragraphs ending with, but it, has, it hasn't done so yet. Comments will be focused on both paragraphs. I will now ask Carmela G. to begin reading. Good morning. This is Carmela G. from New York, a recovered compulsive overeater. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt that times we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery followed always by still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. Well, this is Carmela G. from New York, who lived through this paragraph for over six decades before she surrendered. trying to be normal. We want to be normal. We want we don't want to be considered abnormal. We are in denial, I was, I should say, um denial, 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 never wanting to admit that I was a compulsive overeater. I could control it. I could handle this. The I I I I I did nothing until I surrendered into the care of a God greater than myself. Every day I would wake up and say, today will be the day, and it never was. Going to spas, liquid diets, nothing could do it. But today, surrendering to the care of a God greater than myself, has lost has gotten me to lose the weight and has given me the joy as I trudge this road of happy destiny with all of you. Thank you so much for allowing me to do service. With that I pass. And thank you, Carmela G. And who would like to comment for approximately three minutes on what was read? Madam Kim G. 
Michael Nets. H. Reva P. Tina S. Nancy Berta. Reva. Carly M. Berta. Janine R. Devola S. Matt M. Okay, this is who I have. I have Matt M. Kim G. Reva P. I have Roberta and Devorah S. And we'll begin with those five. If everybody can mute. Except for Matt M. Thank you. Okay, Matt M., let's get us, um, go right ahead. I thank you, Santa, for your service. Hi, everyone. This is Matt M., compulsive overeater from New Jersey. We know that no real alcoholic ever, regain, ever recovers control. That word is really means a lot to me, ever. There's times my brain, my, my brain, my compulsive overeater's brain thinks that I can actually go ahead and have a piece of cake or go ahead and add pizza, then I'll be fine, you know. But when I'm down to finally the third slice and I'm shoving it down my throat so fast I barely taste it, I know I, I don't have control over the food. Unfortunately, my brain doesn't like to think that there's some foods I have to give up permanently. And just because someone told me, you just have to not eat them for today. Because if I thought, you know, this, in the Just for Today pamphlet, it says, like, you know, I could do anything for 12 hours, but if I felt I had to do it for a lifetime, I wouldn't be able to do it. I would drive me insane. And I'm just gratefully, I don't have to eat that stuff just for today. Today is one, I can do anything for one day, for the space of one day. And, um... Because every time I do binge, it does lead to pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization because I start beating myself up. I beat myself to a pulp, which is not the way to do things because beating myself to a pulp is going to want me to eat more. It's like a wicked cycle. I eat, I feel bad about it, I beat myself up, then I want to eat because I beat myself up and I feel bad about myself. It's it, it's a constant, never-ending cycle. And um, it does get worse, never better, because the type of illness that I have, just like everybody else, it will kill me if it gives it if it gets the chance. It'll, it'll make me miserable and hateful first. And I'm not like that. I know that's not who I really am. But I'm in the food though. It says an alcoholic in his cups is an unlovely creature indeed. Absolutely true. When I'm in my, when I'm in the food, man, whew, I'm selfish. I'm egotistical. I'm a thief. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I do anything I can to get that food. I borrow money from people in my program. I steal money from my program. I steal food from the food pantry they have there. I do all these things that don't that make a difference to my life that they really are not supposed to be I'm not supposed to be doing in the first place. So I really realized that, you know, staying out of the food is what I need to do just for today in order to work the steps because I need to have that spiritual awakening in order to keep me safe from the food and keep me sane. And with that I'll pass. And thank you, Matt M. Good morning, Kim G. Good morning, Santa. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Now, Bill doesn't repeat himself a lot, and there's the word control in this paragraph four times. Four times. All of us felt that sometimes we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were never be followed by still less control. You know, and I just want to compare, using my own experience, that there's a difference between relapse and recovery and simply the progression of the illness. You know, we're taught on page 59 before they give us the steps that here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. So recovery has to do with the 12 steps. And I'll let you know my experience. My experience in the beginning when I came in 22 years ago is I would use the fellowship as a way to control and enjoy my eating. 
I would go to a meeting on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I would have two slices of pizza before each meeting, saying that the meeting would give me the strength not to binge. It was white-knuckled, it was difficult, and often was not successful. Then I was told when that didn't stop working, well, I'm going to do 90 meetings in 90 days. That's what's going to keep me safe. And I have to tell you, when we write those promises at the end of the meeting, I, was, I didn't know they were nine-step promises. I thought they were the promises. And it told me before I'm halfway through, I'm going to feel them. So I expected to feel them at day 45 if I'm being told to go to a 90 and 90. What did that often lead to? Yet another relapse. Then I decided to try three phone calls a day, three meetings a week. And you know what? At certain times that would work, and at certain times it wouldn't. And the more I tried to live my program by that, it happened less and less. Then I decided, well, I'm going to try stricter food plans. I mean, I remember knowing that the solution was to buy certain Tupperware, and that certain Tupperware would keep me abstinent. And then I even dabbled in the steps. I would treat the steps like a twister game. I would go right hand blue, left hand red, maybe a little bit of six, maybe a little bit of seven, of course, Kim's version. And what that allowed me to do personally was in the rooms, I wasn't experiencing relapse and recovery. What I was, what I was experiencing was the progression of the illness. Because if I'm not working the steps in a 12-step program, I'm not doing the program of recovery. And the first thing first is I had to put the food down. So when I fully conceded that I had this disease, I put the food down 100%. I followed the clear-cut directions. And instead of experiencing periods of control followed by less control, what I experienced was when on page 84 and 85. I saw that I had a new attitude towards liquor, which had been given to me without thought or effort on my part. It just came. That is the miracle of it. I am not fighting it, nor am I avoiding temptation. I am in a place of neutrality, safe and protected. I have not sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Kim G. And next we have is Reva P., followed by Roberta. Good morning. It's Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I, too, relate to the word control uh, being used multiple times. And this, um, to me, speaks to the crux of my problem. Um, and for me, this, cha- this whole chapter, more about alcoholism, is talking about the insanity of my thinking. What am I thinking before I pick up? Um, and in a way, it's a lot more concrete um, to know that I try to control the food. I can recount all the you know, vain attempts, all the little schemes I tried to get that under the um, control. But, you know, I can control anything. Um, and when I put my, um, whenever I try to control something, it's really controlling me because it's like white-knuckled abstinence. I'm, I'm just fighting so hard to keep it together. You know, this meeting, this sponsor, if I do this reading, if I do the steps this way, um, anything that I try to depend on that is a replacement for a power greater than myself Um, is going to crumble because I only have one true source um, and this whole book for me and all the steps are about getting me aligned um, and accessing that source of power because at the beginning I acknowledge I don't have the power. So I can't control people, I can't control, you know, finances, everything. Um, And it's a very uncomfortable place to be. 
it really is the easier, softer way to just pick some kind of a crutch within the steps, within the program. Um, it, it, it is easier, but it doesn't work. It absolutely does not work. So I love the reminder, um, control, control, control is the crux of my problem. Um, I keep thinking if I can just get this in order and just control this and that and the other thing, I'm going to be okay. And that's the biggest lie. Um, so I will never be a normal drinker when it comes to the food and the same with the thinking. And the only thing that gives me the transformation in my thinking is to take the action and do the work of the steps. With that, I pass. And thank you, Reva P. Good morning, Roberta. Yes, this is Berta. Oh, Berta. Okay. And initial of your last name, please. F, as in Friday. Good morning, Berta F. Go right ahead. Good morning. Yeah, um, I'm Berta, and I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, um, struggling back from relapse. And this chapter, more about alcoholism, I think, you know, I've always looked at it as more about me. Um, I had four years and exactly three months to the day of uh, good, strong, clean abstinence and program work. But, you know, there's something about it that happened all the way back probably in February, and it wasn't until October 31st when I took the first bite. And it was the obsession of the mind. And that's why, you know, it. this paragraph is perfect, you know, it's still worse. Oh, I'll do this way, still worse. Well, I'll do this. Well, now it's even worse. And uh, that obsession of the mind combined with the craving of my body, once I take that first bite, uh, the cravings, the body portion of this double-edged uh, disease comes into play. So now I'm not only fighting the cravings because I picked up the sugar or the white flour or whatever seemed to be a good idea, then I tell myself I've got to get back going. This is ridiculous. This is not who I am. And it doesn't work because I've started this cycle in my mind uh, months before, and and I recognize it now that I looked for a new sponsor. I, I bought a new big book so I could highlight it again. And, and But then I stopped sponsoring because I needed to work on my recovery. One excuse after another and slowly, all the things I need to do to work my program slipped away, and and I'm in relapse, and I'm on day four, and I'm on the line because in order to speak to people in relapse or coming back, we can come back. We are powerless. This book is about us, you know, more about us, and it is an insidious disease, but we can come back. We're not... We're, we are powerless, but we're not hopeless. So thank you so much for letting me share. That's all I have. I pass. And thank you, Berta S. Great hearing your voice this morning. And next we have is Devorah. Hi. Good morning, Santa, and everyone on the line. This is Devorah S. from New Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. And Oh, these paragraphs are so powerful. Um, you know, it just brings to mind, you know, that that illustration that I see in my head here. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. We read that paragraph, right? I'm not imagining that we read it. Yes, Santa? You are correct. Okay. So 
you know, it just brings back to me, you know, I need to have that image in my head. Um, it says previously, um, the delusion that we are like other people are presently may have has to be smashed. You know, the language here is so strong. Um, I remember um, it's 18 years ago when I was laying in a hospital. I had a high-risk pregnancy. I had diabetes and high blood pressure. I was close to 300 pounds. And the doctor said to me straight out, that if you don't do something, you are going to deliver a dead baby. Um, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't stop eating the flour and the sugar and and having the number, if you don't control that that those numbers on the you know in the diabetes, and you know that image of I'm going to deliver a dead baby. That's what I had to I had to I had to visualize that. That's what really got me scared. Um, and the same thing here, like we are like men who have lost their legs, they never grow new ones. That's what I, I will never be a normal eater. I, you know, I just, this is who I am. This is what I have. But you know what, there is a solution and we're living it today. And thank God, um, I don't have to um, live in that terror that I'm going to lose my legs today and I'll never grow new ones. I am, an, I am a, a compulsive overeater living in recovery today, one day at a time. There is a solution, and it's here in this book. And I need to keep that image of who I am and where this disease will take me to the I, – I, I will die from this disease if I don't follow the directions in this book and put down my substances and – and and um and, and live in recovery. So grateful to have the directions here and this book and the fellowship. And um, it's given me a life. Um, and it makes me um, <laughs> really grateful that um, I don't, I, you know, food is not an option today and living the steps is. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you, Devorah S., and thank you all who share. You all stayed under in the three minutes. Thank you. If you're just joining us, we are in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, and we are reading the third paragraph that begins with, We of Alcoholics are Men and Women, and reading and um, commenting on two paragraphs this morning. So who would like to comment? Michael M. Carly, Nessa, Nessa R. Nessa R. Nessa R. Nessa R. Nessa R. Nessa R. Amy M. Carly, Sophie. Amy M. Janice M. Janice M. Carly, Sophie. Carly, Sophie. Rochelle M. Rochelle M. We'll stop right there. Okay, this is who I have. Michael M. If everybody can mute, please. Thank you. I have Michael H., Nessa R., Amy, I believe is M., Janice M., Carlisa C., and Rochelle M. Good morning, Michael H. Good morning, Santa. This is Michael H. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Great. Thank you for your service. 
Oh, yeah, this is Michael H. from the great state of Illinois. I wanted to plug in this morning real quick and comment on the, the power of these pages and really what they meant in, in my life. Um, I started off in life, and, and lo food, rather, was really my first love um, for a long time. And, and as I got older, I, I actually gave it up. I, I left the food for some other some other addictions, but I, but I always came back because it was the the consequences with food. I thought were a little a little easier than some of the other addictions that I uh, undertook in my life, and and I, and I was really a hard eater for a long, long time, and and my my as my metabolism is really really fast. Uh, weight was never a problem for me until I was in in my mid mid 20s i could pretty much eat as much or whatever i wanted and i didn't gain weight but the reality is i'm clearly an addict and and the rest of my life was a mess for sure so when i when i did start to gain the weight uh, i started the obsession of trying to lose it and and I, and I would, I thought I was gaining control. We talked so much about control in here. All of us felt at times we were gaining control, although it'd be brief. There was always brief. I, I would, and it would be called the diet for me. I would, I would diet and then, uh, and then, and relapse from my little diet. And I tried so many things. Um, every, it says we tried every imaginable mem, uh, remedy. And, and I did. I, I tried every imaginable, imaginable remedy from self-help to psychiatry to psychology to self, um, you know, books that were going to make me better. And, and all along, I, I had a lot of problems. And one of them was, was the food. Um, and my, my weight really ballooned. I was 100 pounds more than I was now. And and I, I'm blessed in that I, I came to OA as a relatively high bottom weight-wise, not mentally, but, but weight-wise. It was a relatively high bottom. Bottom. I found a, a diet that really worked for me. I could uh, eat pretty much normally most of the time. I, I controlled my carbohydrates, if you will. But then I could that allowed me to binge my brains out. Um, at night or whenever I wanted, really, because the rest I could kind of control the rest of it, and and I kept my weight reasonable, and it worked for a while until it didn't really work, you know, anymore. It wasn't until I found this program. I'm blessed to come into this program. Um, I was ready. I was desperate, and uh, and I worked these 12 steps. And and as was mentioned before, shared before, um, I now have neutrality around food. Um, I'm sitting at 100 pounds less, and that is a miracle for me. And with that, I will pass. Thank you very much, Michael H., for your share. And next we have is Nessa R. Good morning. Nessa, if you're speaking, we don't hear you. Hi. Sorry, I was um, <laughs> I was unmuting. Um, you know, we read here, science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. And, you know, that was 80 years ago, or almost uh, almost 80 years ago, and then 80 years later, it's still true. It is still true. You know, science has come up with, um, you know, other means of reducing the weight, 
you know, surgical means, different diets, you know, the lapa, the gastroparas, all these things, and they work. And they work for people who are not compulsive overeaters um, because they only attack or address, you know, the symptom, which is the food and the weight. They don't really deal. They don't really deal with the um, with the actual mental obsession, which is, you know, the main part of our problem. And some, something like this would never work for a compulsive overeater. And I've seen it in the rooms of OA where, you know, I've seen people come in and say, you know, I've had this lap band, I've had this gastric bypass, and I'm heavier than I was before I had it. You know, because, you know, it may restrict the food intake, but it doesn't restrict the, uh, the, mental, um, the mental aspect of our disease. And so something like that would never, ever, ever work for some, somebody like me. You know, the only thing that has ever worked for me are these 12 steps when I, when I work them in abstinence because it's the only thing that will arrest the mental obsession. You know, as was read before um, in the uh, Step 10 Promises in, step, uh, in page 85, you know, um, the steps are the only thing that gives me um, neutrality around the food that makes me safe and protected without having to fight temptation. Um, you know, any other diet, any other means, I'm still, I'm, there's no difference between those means and white knuckling. Um, an abstinence, I'm still trying to, to control. And as I, I've been said before too, the more I control, the more it controls me. And eventually just spins like a boomerang um, and I'm worse off than when I started. Um, so, um, I guess just here, I'm going to close by saying the only thing that works for a compulsive overeater of my kind is working these steps as outlined in the big book in abstinence, uh, and there's just nothing else. And I pass. And thank you, Nessa R. Next we have is Amy, I believe M. Thank you. Hi, this is Amy MC calling from Massachusetts. Uh, thank you, Santa, for your service. I just love this third paragraph here it's just amazing yes we are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking I mean you know that's people would tell me Amy just try to control it try to control it a little bit more you say you finish the box or bag so only have five and then throw it away I couldn't control it um, you know we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control and this has been my experience. I need to turn my will and my life over to God and have him be in control and not Amy. Um, you know, this next part is just really what hit me this morning. Um, all of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time um, to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I, I mean, incomprehensible demoralization. I never knew um, such strong words to describe my experience, but that was my experience. Every time I thought I had it under control, every time I tried a new diet or a new fad or bought new clothes, I, you know, would say to myself, this is it. I'm not buying a larger size clothes. This is it. I'm going to stick with this diet. You know, please, God, just help me stick with this diet. But never in my wildest dreams 
did I think about the nourishment that was coming from this quote-unquote diet? I mean, gosh, you know, I I would do programs and uh, buy all their sweets and count those as all my points, you know? I mean, how insane is that? Um, and, of course, I never lost weight, and, of course, I gained weight, and, of course, you know, after weighing in on my weighing in day, I would go home and binge and then start again three days before the next weigh-in. You know, it just didn't work for me. Uh, This works. Program works. I I have to say I've been working with a sponsor for, I think it's going on three weeks now, going through the big book here, and it is unbelievably rewarding just in three weeks. The change in attitude I felt, Um, you know, working the steps, making the phone calls, the food is arrested. I'm abstinent, but um, my mind is so clear, and I am so grateful to those of you on the line. And uh, I just encourage newcomers and people who are hesitant, just go ahead and reach out and make that first phone call. And, uh, you know, if my experience is anything like your experience, you will see nothing but rewarding blessings coming your way. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Amy M.C. And good morning, Janice M. Well, good morning to you, Santa. This is um, Janice M. And good morning to everyone. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Well, if you can identify like I can, (laughs) Today, without resisting and defying this and denying it and resisting this, <clears throat> then you're one of us. This tells us. I mean, this di- I can diagnose myself here. I tried and tried and tried and tried for decades to be, like we've heard, a normal eater. Of course, I didn't know it at that time, but I, didn't, I know that I did not want to be a compulsive overeater. And with my mind and with my thinking, I thought I had the capability. I thought I had the power. <laughs> I had the power to manage you. I had the power to manage my food. I had the, But I didn't. I was believing a lie all the time. You see, because I, 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 when you don't have the capability, when you break an egg, you know, you break an egg. When Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back again. And, you know, that that was me. I was always trying to put that egg back again, trying to find a better way, trying to maybe be more successful than I'll control it, trying to change my husband, see, because I have a spiritual malady. And I found out, thank you, God, through this program, that the real problem is power. And I didn't have it, and neither did the books, and neither did the groups, and neither did the sponsor. So I had to find a way to get to that power, a relationship with, with my higher power, which I chose to call God, choose to call God. See, the remedy is not just physical with me, because I have a dual, I mean, I was going to say dual diagnosis. I have a dual problem. It's physical and mental. Yeah, I could go on diets and I can go away and I could do this and that. And that's fine. And then I think I have this illusion that, oh, everything is okay. I'm in power now. See, I'm abstinent. I got this down. But that's, I got that, that attacks the physical, you know. But I have a mental, I'm egotistical. 
I'm selfish. I, I try to manage everything. And this is an area, well, one of the areas of my life that I do not have the capability to do. <laughs> I'm powerless. So I have to find the road to power. You know, no, no control means for me no choice. I, I, I tried and I tried, but I still couldn't choose what I was supposed to do. Just put the food down first. And then we can take care of the mental. You know, once a bell is rung, we can't unring the bell. And once I'm a compulsive overeater, there's no cure. There's no treatment. I have to keep doing, putting my food down, having a food plan, and work on the 12 steps. And I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Janice M. And next we have is Carlisa C. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Um, Carlisa C. recovered in Washington, D.C. I'd like to focus on the line on page 30, which says, we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does that appear to be, there appear to be any treatment, any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. Um, my um, youngest brother had a, a uh, bone uh I guess, disorder, which caused him to have to get his left foot amputated. And I lived with him through his initial recovery process. And uh, I can verify <laughs> that his his uh, leg has not grown back. And uh, I have watched him live with this amputation. And I'll take it off of him and just, just say what I experienced. Um, uh, if... As as a person learns to walk with a prosthetic, they have to take great care because as their wound is healing from the amputation, the um, prosthetic can tear tear the wound open, and so uh, they are taught very early on that if they if their wound is open, then they can't use their prosthetic, and they must come in and first heal the wound again and then uh, get their prosthetic uh, adjusted. I can verify for sure that if a person does not have their prosthetic on, they are still one-legged or, in some cases, minus two legs. Um, I can say for sure that as far as anyone knows who's ever worked with this type of of, uh, injury, nobody's legs have grown back. I would like to have that kind of certainty with my own um, mental obsession and physical allergy, that to live with the notion that I constantly have to be on, on awareness that if I tear my wound open, and for me that means come into some kind of emotional disorder, usually self-pity, dishonesty, mixed motives of some kind, I have torn, I'm tearing the wound open. And I must immediately, <laughs> I must immediately take steps to uh, heal that wound, or I'm not going to be able to walk uh, the steps at all. It is, it's for me the, a, a very wonderful and visual. I'm a visual person. I need this. Of unless I get constant adjustments to my prosthetic, meaning walk the steps. Uh, 
do service, do what I'm told to do, do the instructions in this book, I'm not going to be able to walk. And I want to say finally that um, the promise is that not we don't get to we don't get new legs, but the promise is if we um, maintain our spiritual fitness, if we check our prosthetic, if we work we work with it, make sure it's highly tuned, we do get a daily reprieve from our mental and physical obsessions. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you for your share. And thank you, Carlisa, for your share. And next we have is Rochelle M. Good morning. Good morning. This is Rochelle M. from Maryland. Thank you for your service. Uh, I wanted to share on, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. So yesterday I had a very interesting day. I had to, I wound up participating in um, a divorce and uh, followed by a funeral, followed by a wedding at night. Now, um, in the past, had I had those situations, they probably would have sent me into the food easily. But that's not what happened yesterday. And uh, today I am a survivor, and uh, with my higher power's help. And I'm glad that today I understand that the solution it's not the food because I know I can't go back to my alcoholic foods. I know today that um, when I go to a wedding and I've arranged with the caterer that they're going to serve me only what I need, and if they make a mistake and put something sweet on my plate, which I know I'm not allowed to have, I will not eat it. I will gracefully spit it out. I will not allow it to come into my body. And that allows me to stay in program and to be happy for the people who got married last night and to participate and to dance and to smile and to really have a lovely time because now what I have is a a real vibrant life and an intention to be connected to other people and to be of service to my higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Rochelle M. And we have time for two, possibly three more shares. Melissa C. Melissa C. This is Larry. Larry K. Hello, this is Melissa. That's what we have. We have Melissa C. Larry K. And Elizabeth M. Good morning, Melissa C. Hi. Good morning, Melissa C. Melissa C. Before you start, if everybody else can mute their line. Thank you. Go right ahead. Hi. Are you able to hear me now? I can hear you. Sure. Okay, great. Thank you. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I kept thinking that my legs would grow back. You know, that was my misconception that I, I really, for years, I just wanted to be able to eat like other people. I thought after a diet or from a period of dieting, um, I could rejoin what looked like the rest of the world was doing. You know, I wanted desperately to have that piece of cake, you know, or the slice of pizza. And and the thought that Friday night, you know, family pizza nights were a thing of the past, it it filled me with such sadness, you know. Why couldn't I enjoy that family ritual? But, you know, as I got worse in the illness, it was um it was like undeniable. I could not have that piece of cake. You know, one piece felt so painful. Like I would have it and 
my eye would just be on someone else's plate, on the frosting left on their plate. Like I could not, once I put the piece in my body, I could not be comfortable. It was, it was even worse. And, um, you know, and the same thing happened with me with the pizza. I would eat my two slices and as I'd wrap up the leftovers, I was already thinking how long do I have to wait before going in the fridge and taking out those leftover pieces? Um, you know, and so, yeah, I lost my legs, which means my days of cake and pizza are over. You know, that ship sailed. And I have no better chance of eating those foods today um, in my normal-looking body than I did when I was 300 pounds. It's um, my legs are gone. You know, I know this. And uh, I don't have to pretend to be anything other than a person with a permanent disability, you know. And so um, – I can live today with peace and comfort in this knowledge. You know, I have to live with a food plan. That's part of um, how I can live with this, with this disability, with my legless body. You know, I have to commit my food daily. That's what I've discovered works for me. It, it can't be the only thing I do, but that's where it begins. I need to weigh and measure my food. I don't eat outside my planned meals. I don't eat my alcoholic foods. You know, these are my non-negotiables. This allows me then to do the rest of the work and have a, a spiritual experience. This is how I must live. Um, and I accept this. You know, um, I, I'm no longer fighting this. And, you know, guess what? I have peace and neutrality. I don't look at the cake on your plate or, you know, on someone's plate. I don't look at the leftover slices. I, I can actually serve pizza. I can serve the cake to my family. I can wrap up the leftovers with no desire or resentment, you know, and, and that's really, that's truly miraculous. That's, that's more than I could have ever dreamed of, you know, and um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Melissa C. Good morning, Larry Kay. Good morning, Santa. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, good, good. Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, it, it talks about control, and it, it, there's a great paradox here because many of us um, are controlling people. We try, to, we try to control many things in our lives, and the paradox is that, you know, surrender, well, anything that I try to control, anything is, is controlling me. It owns me. I'm tethered to it. And we try to control things because you know, of what we think will happen if we don't control them, that things will get out of control. And yet this disease was killing me anyway. It owned me. It completely owned me. And, and control is also the result of being attached to a specific outcome. So even when I came into program here, my fear, my fears are what drove my control. The fear that, it, that I, was, I, was, I was attached to the outcome, the fear that you know, what would, what would this program, this practical program of action, what would it do if it changed me? How, what would I become? Or worse, what if I didn't do it right and it didn't work? So, you know, th this is part of it. And the energy of surrender accomplishes much more than the energy of control. You know, a fish swims. It doesn't, it doesn't think about it. It swims in the ocean. And it either, it's either swimming with the flow 
or sometimes it comes up against some resistance and it just deals with that. It doesn't think about controlling any, anything at all. And yes, surrender doesn't mean I sit here and wait for the miracle to happen. I can surrender. In fact, I must surrender while still taking action, detached from the outcome of what will happen. We take these actions, 1 through 12, without an attachment of the outcome. I detach from that outcome, and I wait to see what happens. I take the actions precisely. I can control nothing. So that energy of surrender accomplishes so much more than the energy of control. It was kind of the art of surrender, complete acceptance acceptance of what is. You know, a faith that whatever is is going to be okay. Without, it doesn't need, the universe doesn't need my input. I take the actions, I detach from outcome, and I just accept what happens. And that's the beauty of this program. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Larry Kay. And next we have is Elizabeth M. Hi, Santa. Thank you for your service. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, this is Elizabeth M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New Hampshire. And what I want to talk about, I was thinking about this paragraph in terms of the men who have lost their legs. You know, I kept trying to find my legs. In my 20s, I realized I was having a problem with food. Now, I didn't know what the problem was, and I thought I just needed to keep doing more diets. But then I decided, I was thinking a little bit about Dr. Bob going to the Oxford group. I decided that the approach to my eating problem would be spiritual. So I spent uh, 30 years trying various spiritual approaches to this problem. And I remember when I was 30, I got trained in transcendental meditation in Cambridge thinking this will solve my eating problem. And I kept ricocheting from one spiritual approach to the next, all the while trying different diets and not understanding why, you know, to put it in step terms, I couldn't live in step 11 without doing those first 10 steps. So I kept trying step 11. And of course, my channels were completely blocked for any kind of spiritual power to come in because I was so powerless in the food. And I did try OA in my 40s, and they were um, basically speaker discussion meetings. There was no mention of the steps. So I really wasn't getting any power from that. So then I went back to trying other ways of approaching food through spiritual mechanisms like mindfulness and Buddhism and meditation. And I just thought all these things were so wonderful. But then I would find myself immediately or soon thereafter back in the food. And I couldn't understand what was wrong. And even when I got on vision after six or seven years in OA90, OA how, various approaches to OA uh, that weren't working, I was still relapsing. I didn't understand how the steps worked until I worked them. I didn't understand that though there's no treatment, though my physical allergy will never be lifted, will never be changed, I cannot change those receptors, the mental obsession will be lifted, which will keep me out of the food. So anyone who's in relapse or struggling, I want to reassure you from my path that the steps really are the path. They are the way to a spiritual awakening and to relief from the mental obsession. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Elizabeth M. We have just about a minute to go, and I just want to just reiterate what was already said. As I look at this, these words on this page here are just bone-chilling for me. Control, control, control in the first paragraph we read, and the second paragraph is telling me that I will never grow new legs. 
And but the thing that was really compelling to me is that science have not discovered a way, a way out for me. And this book is 80 years, approximately 80 years old. So I needed to find another way. And so I am so grateful that I was led into these rooms and that I got a hold of these principles. And living a 12-step way of life is just what I needed, a vital spiritual experience that have revolutionized my entire life and that I'm no longer wanting to control food and I'm no longer wanting to control outcomes. And with that, I will pass. And thank you, everyone, who shared. Please join us for the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for Monday, April 24, 2017, to 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is 9868. 9868. We will now close the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Hoodie R, please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Keep you until then. Hi, Santa. This is Hoodie R. We have a composable reader in Israel. You hear me? I sure can. Okay, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We really know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own health is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. <laughs>